Welcome to the Deepwater Podcast. I'm Dave Mercer. I'm James Judd. And our goal on this podcast is to learn to make disciples the way Jesus made disciples. Yes, sir. Welcome to another episode of the Deepwater Podcast. I'm really glad you're joining us today. So today I want to talk about a thing that's really been on my mind for quite a while. We moved back to the States uh, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, and it's definitely been on my mind since then, but it's even been on my mind even even before we were back there just kind of catching things. And this one's specifically directed at the American church, this thing going on my mind. And my question my question is this, this is where the root of what we're going to, is are we looking for political solutions to spiritual problems? So as you know, probably, last week was the State of the Union Address. It's a couple of weeks late because of all the hubbub going on in the government. Well, as it was approaching and afterwards, you know, my my Facebook feed was filled with people you know, calling on Trump or calling on the Republicans or even calling on the Democrats to fix whatever problem it is in America or to fix this moral problem or to defend our values or all of those things. And I just want to say that there is there is great folly, great folly in looking for political solutions to spiritual problems. You know, you can't legislate morality. It doesn't work. You can't suddenly pass a law and all of a sudden that changes everybody's hearts and they're all automatically moral. Now you can make things harder. You can make things uh, more difficult for somebody to do something immoral, but you can't legislate morality. No more than in the, in the 1920s, you couldn't have prohibition. Like it didn't work. Everyone's shot around it and uh, gave birth to all kinds of other problems, including the uh, mafia, if I recall. So putting this putting this into scenario, you know, let's look at Roe versus Wade. If I could overturn Roe versus Wade, I absolutely would. You know, I'd be I'd be so happy if we could overturn that. I think abortion is is horrible in every every possible way. It's horrible for the infant that's killed. It's also horrible for the woman that goes through it and they carry a lot of baggage from there afterwards. And I will say that there is forgiveness uh, for that. Jesus does cover all sin. But here's the thing is, what if what if all of a sudden we became, what if we couldn't, we couldn't overturn Roe versus Wade? What if it you know became a constitutional amendment? Or what if, what if there was no way we could do this politically? What if we had to think of a different way? I want you to imagine, I'm going to create a scenario for you, and I just want you to picture this and think through this. Because so much times as a church, we are so looking for political solutions. We're calling on the government. We're going to sign a petition. We're going to fix. We're going to pass this law. We're going to get out the vote, all these things. I want you to consider this. What if all of a sudden there was a constitutional amendment and and ignore any things about whether something, I guess if it's a constitutional amendment, it's automatically constitutional. So just roll with me of the scenario. Don't shoot holes in it in terms of why it could or couldn't work. Just imagine it could, okay? What if there was a constitutional amendment passed, and in the constitutional amendment, they said that nobody who is currently a Christian could vote for the next 50 years? What would you do? 
How do you see that? Think about that. What would that play out in America? How would it be if nobody that was currently a Christian could vote for the next 50 years and there was no way to repeal it? It would be like the uh, the law of uh, the Persians and the Medes, that once the king had stamped it, it couldn't be repealed. So, you know, imagine it's something like that. There's no way around it. What's going to happen? What would you do? And I know for for Americans, like one of our, our, our big things, our rights, is we have a right to vote and we're going to, you know, we have a right to representation. And, and I'm glad, I'm glad we have all that. But let's just imagine for a minute we didn't. Does that ruin everything for you? Does it mean does it mean America just immediately goes into the tank over the next 50 years? What I want to suggest is that that if your strategy for change involves getting a politician to change the law, then some kind of constitutional amendment like that, that would be a huge problem for you. Huge problem for you. However, if your strategy for change involves Jesus coming into people's lives, then not having a vote really doesn't have any effect. It it's not a it doesn't affect your policy at all. It's like okay, no big deal. I'll still keep working with Jesus and Jesus will change people's lives. In the American church, part of the reason that we favor politics over maybe Jesus changing people, the reason we favor pol- political change, change a law, is that, excuse me, is that we don't like to get our hands dirty. Changing people is dirty. It's messy. It's ugly. I don't really like it either myself. You know, recently I had this interesting experience. Uh, there was a person who was in quite a lot of need. And my family and I, we, we kind of just dropped in our lap and we felt like that was from God and we helped him for a few days. We were glad to do it, but there was also, I don't know if this was right or wrong, but I felt like there was a limit to how long our family could do that. And, and that limit had come. And this guy was kind of back into a homeless state, you know, and we're helping where we can, but we're not we're not quite ready to, to bring him into our home again. And this lady who knows of his problems, you know, she, she says, hey, I've got an extra bedroom. He can stay with me. And this lady, she's not a lady who probably, she's not a, a lady who's darkened the door of a church every time the building is open. She's not this this great Christian saint. I do believe she is a believer. She is coming to a Bible study. So I'm not disparaging her at all. But what I'm saying is that she was willing to to take him in and, and to get her hands dirty. She didn't know exactly what it was going to happen, but I, I would guess that maybe there'd been a time in her life where she'd been in a similar situation. and She just couldn't bear the thought of him sleeping in his car. And so she she invites him in. And it was just this real conviction to me of like, why is it that we as followers of Jesus, the people who darken a church door every every time it opens, or those that have professed faith for a long time, or those that would put our identity so much in Christ, why is it that so much of the time we're not the ones that are willing to really get messy, really get our hands dirty? We're much more in favor. Let's just pass this law and let someone else deal with it. You know, Matt Chandler had this really awesome quote, and I'm just, I'm totally going to paraphrase it. But basically he said, we can't rail against abortion unless we're going to offer the lady who's pregnant in need of help, help. If we're going to say, hey, listen, you can come into my home. Hey, what do you need from me? How can I support you? Like we can't oppose abortion if we're not going to 
provide a solution to somebody as well. Because it's easy to say, like, no more abortion. And I'd love it if that was true. But it's a lot harder to come get in the mess of people's lives. A second reason that we really favor politics over spiritual solutions is that we, as, as Christians in America, we have basically abdicated our role to politics, to the government. Instead of the kingdom of God taking care of the poor, we've abdicated that to the government. Instead of the kingdom of God uh, working on healing people, we've abdicated that to hospital corporations. And I mean, if you look back at most hospitals, were they not mostly started as nonprofits, often from a religious perspective of we want to bring healing to people? But we've abdicated that. So back to the scenario, if all of a sudden we couldn't vote for 50 years, what would we do? What would you do? Well, if you're smart, what you would do is start looking around and saying, okay, Jesus, what are you doing? Because if Jesus comes in and changes hearts, it really doesn't matter what the laws are. Think about that a minute. When Jesus writes right and wrong on your heart, and he puts his conscience in your heart, laws don't matter as much. Because you're not going to break him. You're going to do, you're going to love your neighbor. You're going to love your enemy. You're going to love God. All of those things, in most instances, it doesn't matter what the law is because I'm going to treat my neighbor the way I would like them to be treated. You know, what if we focused instead of uh, focusing all our energy on seeing this law changed, what if we focused all our energy on really loving our neighbors? What if we moved to an area that was super, super anti-God? They were, you know, running away from God as quick as they could. What if we moved there and we established our lives in among them and we prayed and we worked on meeting our neighbors and we tried to, to see Jesus bring a movement of God into that area? Wouldn't that essentially change it? I am not so naive as to think that no person who follows Jesus or professes Jesus professes to follow Jesus, I don't think that means they have never had an abortion. Uh, one of the interesting things, as my wife and I were just chatting about this recent law that New York passed, we're kind of going back and looking at statistics. And actually, there's a lot more. There are there are your single unwed mothers. There's also a lot of them that have had a. I want to say it was like sixty percent or something of people that have an abortion already have another child. And a lot of it's like, I just, I can't bear it. Or it's a family that says, oh, we're past that. Sometimes it's not always the people that we think are having abortions or the ones that have an abortions. But for the most part, if someone is actively trying to live and please Jesus, they're not going to have an abortion. Doesn't mean they don't make mistakes. Doesn't mean they can't be forgiven for those mistakes if they make them. But for us, so many times we're so quick to judge people that have an abortion or judge people that are pro-abortion. And I'll be honest, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't even understand what they're fighting for, really. I, I just, I don't, I don't get it. But I'd be much better off if I would judge myself. What if I would abandon all and just follow Jesus? What if we have as, as a church would say, I don't care. I'll give up my rights. I give up my money. I give up my possessions. I will follow Jesus. I will be with you. I will help walk you through this. What if we did that and, and we saw a movement of God across America? If we saw a movement of God across America, even if we who are currently not believers couldn't vote, if we saw a movement of God across America, all kinds of things would change. 
even even whether the laws changed or not. Now I would challenge some of you guys uh, that think that think Jesus only holds to the perfect platform of one political party. I would challenge you that if we saw a huge movement of God, not all of the changes would be what you think they would be. I would challenge you on that. Go back and every change that you think would happen, you need to go back and say like, okay, where, where would I get the biblical reference for this? And is it a solid one or is it one I'm kind of twisting and tweaking and saying, oh, I think this is true? Is this just a cultural value that I hold? Is this an economic structure that I think is great? Or is this actually something the kingdom of God talks about, the Bible talks about, such as caring for the poor? In the end, in this scenario, if we would actually follow God, it really wouldn't matter whether we could vote or not vote. Because ultimately, all of these issues are heart issues, especially especially with life. It's a heart issue. And the only person that can change a heart is Jesus. When you see a man or a woman and they say, send me to Washington or send me to Santa Fe or send me to Oklahoma City or send me to Austin or send me to Albany or send me to wherever and I'm going to fix things, I just have to wonder, like, really? You, you think you're going to? Like, how, how are you planning on doing this? Like, maybe you can pass some laws, and that'd be good. There's some laws I'd like to see passed. There's laws I've been happy that have passed, laws that I've been sad that have been passed. But ultimately, all, all I see from most polit- politics is like, we get a little bit ahead, and so we push some of our laws, and then there's a, a backlash against that, and so they push some of their laws, whoever the they is and the we are, and then there's a little backlash against that, and so we pass some of our laws. But nobody's heart changes. It's not like someone gets elected, and then all of a sudden everybody's like, ah, you know what? I was wrong. I completely disagree with everything I used to think. Now I, I totally think what you think now that you've been elected to, to the Senate. Congratulations. Oh, you've changed my heart. That doesn't happen. Maybe there's a few people you intellectually change. Maybe you're able to to ram some laws down people's throats. Maybe those are good laws. Maybe they're bad laws. Half of them we probably, unless it's a specific biblical issue, half of them we probably don't know for 100 years if they're good or bad anyway, or 50 years, who knows. But if we wanted to change a heart, and we use Jesus, and we let Jesus come in, and we cooperated with Jesus, and we stopped hiding out in our churches, wouldn't that change everything? And and truthfully, probably needs to start with changing us. There's an old story of a man. I believe his name was Gypsy Smith. I've probably told you this story on here before, but he was a great revivalist in England or Great Britain. And he had this young group of of, of men say, "Hey, we want to be revivalists too. How do we how do we be revivalists?" And he said, "Well, you go to your room. This is the first step. You go to your room, and you you." You get a piece of chalk and you draw a circle around yourself and then you fall down on your knees and you beg God to bring revival inside the circle. And that's so true. Like we need our own hearts to change. I need, at least I won't put it on you. I know I need my heart to change. I know I'm going to be way more loving. I need to be way more willing to give up my things. I need to be way more focused on the kingdom of God. But if we did, you know, God... Jesus wants to change people. Jesus loves people. Jesus doesn't want all this hurt, doesn't want all this evilness, all this wickedness. He wants to change people. Perhaps our best thing as the church, maybe our best thing is if we prayed that God would change us first. 
when he changed us, he would probably change those around us, and we would look and see where he was changing people, and we would join him there. If you need more evidence that uh, political solutions to spiritual problems is, is not a very wise move, why don't you think about this passage? This is in the book of John, focusing on chapter 18, verse 36. Jesus is in front of Pilate. Pilate says, hey, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus is like, hey, is that your idea of people... Is that your idea or, you know, people have been telling you about me? And he's like, I mean, you're the people, your people handed you, handed you over to me. You know, what do I know? And Jesus said this in, in verse 36. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. And I think, I think Jesus would say the same thing to us today. I'm not saying, I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying don't have a have an opinion. But what I'm saying is put your hope in the kingdom of God, not in whether some some political party is in charge right now or not. It just it that doesn't change people. Jesus changes people. We have to have to stop putting our faith in government. Don't stop putting our hope in government. Whether the government changes or doesn't change, whether things get more repressive for Christians or less repressive for Christians. It doesn't affect our faith. It doesn't actually affect our ability to follow Jesus. As uh, Nick Ripkin pointed out in one of his books, he said, no government can stop you from sharing your faith. That the idea that a, that a government can stop you, that's ludicrous. Now, they can punish you for sharing your faith, but they can't stop you. You're the only one that can stop you from sharing your faith. And I think, I think to Paul, as he's writing, he says, he says, pray that I may declare it, it being the gospel. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Oh, that hits me. That hit me last night when I was thinking about it. God, I need to de- I need to declare your gospel clearly and I need to declare it fearlessly. You know, I was reading a book a while back. Uh it's a C.S. Lewis book, part of the Chronicles of Narnia, and it's it's called The Magician's Nephew. And just to kind of set a set the scene, if you haven't read it or haven't read it in a long time, it's a it's a great book. But this land of Narnia, Aslan is in the process of creating it. This one actually happens chronologically. It's the first book in the series. So Aslan is creating it. He's singing it in existence. And these two little kids somehow slip this this wicked witch into Narnia. And then, you know, Aslan confronts the boy. And he sends him on this mission to go get this tree. This tree that had this these powers of healing and to bring it back and plant it in Narnia. And he gets there and the witch is eating eating one of the apples and she's tempting him to, and his mom's sick back in back in quote unquote the real world. And he's tempted to, but he decides not to. And I'm just gonna read a a little bit from you there. Son of Adam, said Aslan, you have sown well, and you Narnians, let your first care let it be your first care to guard this tree, for it is your shield. So when he came back with the apple, they throw it or something like that. It plants and it, it blooms into this tree, like right before their eyes. It says, for it is your shield. The witch of whom I told you has fled far away into the north of the world. She will live on there, growing stronger in dark magic. But while the tree flourishes, she will never come down into Narnia. She dare not come within a hundred miles of the tree, for its smell, which is joy and life and health to you, is death and horror and despair to her. Everyone was suddenly, everyone was staring solemnly at the tree when Aslan suddenly swung it round his head, scattering golden gleams of light from his mane as he did so, and fixed his large eyes on the children. 
What is it, children, he said, for he caught them in the very act of whispering and nudging one another. Oh, Aslan, sir, said Diggory, turning red. I forgot to tell you, the witch has already eaten one of those apples, one of the same kind that kind that tree grew from. He hadn't really said all he was thinking, but Polly at once said it for him. Diggory was always much more afraid than she of looking a fool. So we thought, Aslan, she said, that there must be some mistake, and she can't really mind the smell of those apples. Why do you think that, daughter of Eve? Eve asked the lion. Well, she ate one. Child, he replied, that is why all the rest are now a horror to her. That is what happens to those who pluck and eat fruits at the wrong time and in the wrong way. The fruit is good, but they loathe it ever after. Oh, I see, said Polly, and I suppose because she took it in the wrong way, it won't work with her. I mean, it won't make her always young and all that. Alas, said Aslan, shaking his head, it will. Things always work according to their nature. She has won her heart's desire. She has unwearying strength and endless days like a goddess. But length of days with an evil heart is only length of misery, and already she begins to know it. All get what they want. They do not always like it. I, I nearly ate one myself, Aslan, said Diggory. Would I? You would, child, said Aslan. For the fruit always works, it must work. But it does not work happily for any who pluck it at their own will. If any Narnian unbidden had stolen an apple and planted it here to protect Narnia, it would have protected Narnia. But it would have done so by making Narnia into another strong and cruel empire like Charn. Not the kindly land I mean it to be. And the wench tempted you to do another thing, my son, did she not? Yes, Aslan. She wanted me to take an apple home to mother. And if you'll remember, his mom was sick. Understand, then, that it would have healed her, but not to your joy or hers. The day would have come when you both, when both you and she would have looked back and said it would have been better to die in that Ill, illness. And Diggory could say nothing, for tears choked him, and he gave up all hopes of saving his mother's life. But at that same time, he knew that the lion knew what would have happened, and that there might be things more terrible even than losing someone you love by death. But now Aslan was speaking again. That is what would have happened, child, with a stolen apple. It is not what will happen now. What I give you will bring joy. It will not, in your world, give endless life, but it will heal. Go, pluck her an apple from the tree. I've thought about that a lot recently, especially in regards to politics, and and especially as a church, I think we have compromised on some of our beliefs in order to hopefully get a politician to pass a law that we want to pass. And I think about that, like when we, basically when we compromise with evil in order that they might do good, it's possible that they'll, they'll do that good that we, prom- that we asked for, that we wanted. But I don't think it'll be good the way it was intended to be good. It'll do it in another harsher, crueler, unusual way. Because evil is evil. There is no good in it. And just as Satan tricked Eve in the garden, and he said, you know, this this will make you like God, knowing good and evil. And sure enough, when she was done, she did know good and evil. But it wasn't like she wanted. She wasn't like God. Now she just knew that she was evil. You can never trust a wolf who says he'll protect the flock of sheep, sheep from the other wolves. A wolf is a wolf, and a sheep is a sheep. And what we need is a good shepherd. And we have one. His name is Jesus. And we would be far, far better off to trust in him rather than 
trust in any political system of this world. Let's put our hope in God who never fails. And let's live that out. And let's teach those we disciple to do the same. Okay, so that was a pretty serious one today. Um, I want to bring up now, let's go to something happier, an idea. I have a friend named Clay who made a suggestion. And his suggestion was like, hey, we should in a year, you should get like everyone who's been a guest on your podcast and your listeners, and let's have a big get together and let's talk about disciple making. And I thought that was a pretty cool idea. But I wanted to combine it with another idea or option. So you've heard me talk about discipleship.org. They have a national disciple-making forum, November 7th and 8th, which is a Thursday and Friday. And it's going to be an awesome time. There's going to be all kinds of great resources, all kinds of great people who are doing it. There's going to be stories. There's just going to be a lot of people all gathered together in this one place to talk about disciple-making, to further disciple-making. So what I wanted to see, if you guys would be interested, what if we got a group, what if we went there and we all met there, and on the 7th and 8th, you know, we would do the forum, and then on the 9th, which is a Saturday, we could have like a deep water podcast get together, and we could hang out with one another, we could spend some time with one another. There's a lot of you guys that I know listen to this that would really love one another if you knew each other. And then there's some of you guys that, that I don't know, or we don't know that we would love to meet. So anyway, if that's something you'd be interested in, let me know. Send me an email at james at luke5.com. And by the way, you, you spell out the five, L-U-K-E-F-I-B-E.com. So send me an email at james at luke5.com. Let me know if you're interested in that. And if it is, maybe we'll see if we can get a group together and, and kind of organize something. It'd be lots of fun. Let me know. Until next time, love you guys. Keep making disciples, and we will talk to you then. Thank you.